RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Weren't we doing this just a couple of weeks ago? Well, what do you say we do it again? It's Mission Log Live. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Yes, we are back after a week off. And what timing, because there's new Star Trek back on the air. More about that in a moment. But you are the reason that we're here. It's that time again when we get together with you, our Star Trek pals, and we talk about Trek and other things, whatever's on your mind. In fact, I would be delighted to know what's on your mind. The best way to ensure that I get it right is to give us a shout. You can click on the link to join our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can also call me. Call me on the line. Call me. Call me anytime. 646-558-8656. 646-558-8656. Then enter the meeting code that you'll find in the show description and the comments. Then there you are with us just chatting away. Joining us this week, it is Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. We will be talking about the return of Discovery, uh, the new short Trek Runaway, with our own Trek expert. Here's the thing, though. I'm sorry, Trek expert. I messed that up. Here's the thing, though. He can be your Trek expert as well. How? How are you asking? Can he be your Trek expert? Pick up the rap rod and give us a call. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call. 646-558-8656. Then you enter the meeting code that you will find in the show description and the comments. Or you can, of course, join our Zoom meeting like John just said a moment ago, or use the one tap from your smartphone. Uh, thank you for joining us live tonight, either on Facebook, uh, uh, facebook.com slash mission log pod, or on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash Roddenberry prod. Of course, if you're picking up the audio stream, we thank you for doing that as well. Basically, Thanks for being here, I think is what we're trying to say. Uh, we also want to let you know we got some stuff coming up. John, what do we have coming up? Oh, well, on the live show, uh, as you can guess, we will have a recap and discussion of every new short trek as they come. That'll be once a month until January. And then Discovery starts up again. They just released the date, Ken, January 17th. 2019, when those uh, episodes kick back into full gear. In the meantime, uh, what do we have? We have guests, we have friends, we have your calls, we have your questions. You know where to find us, just like you should every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 Eastern. Um, and uh, Ken, what else do we have coming up in the VR world? Well, in the VR world, we actually had a little bit of change of plans. We had said that this coming Thursday, day after tomorrow, as we record this live, uh, we hadn't said that this Thursday was going to be when we were going to go inside Star Trek with Rod, Rod, and Mary. Unfortunately, that ended up getting moved a bit. We're now doing that on the 1st of November. Now, I say unfortunately that ended up getting moved, but here's the, here's, here's the good news. You have more time to plan for that. So day after Halloween, you're not going to want to go out anyway. You're going to be uh, coming down off a sugar crash. So really, we can be your friends in VR. Uh, if you don't know what that is, by the way, Inside Star Trek is this album that uh, Gene Roddenberry recorded uh, several years ago, sort of between Star Treks, if you will. Uh, so uh, conversations, I mean, some just monologues by Gene, some conversations with the likes of, um, oh, gosh, uh, Isaac Asimov, I know he has a conversation with, uh, Sarek, he has a conversation with, uh, William Shatner, he has a conversation with. John, Rod, and I are going to go through, pick out a few clips that we like or a few tracks that we like, and then, uh, you know, play them or play parts of them, maybe, depending on how long the track is, and then talk about them with you. Um, really, the kind of thing that we do here on Mission Log Live, we want to do in the VR space. Uh, of course, I, I skipped ahead a little bit. On the 25th of October, so a few Thursdays from now, we actually have round two of our big trivia tournament. Uh, that's coming up uh, Thursday night, the 25th of October. All these times, by the way, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. And don't forget, you don't need the whole VR headset to be part of everything. If you've got a computer that runs, I believe, as far back as Windows 7, uh, you can be part of the action. So sensar.com is the place to go. Go a couple of days before the event, set up your account. Doesn't cost anything. Set up your avatar. That's fun to do. And then come back and join us for those events. 
Hey, uh, before we move on to uh, what we would normally do next, which would be the poll, I want to say hi. I want to say hi to all these people. We have new listeners, uh, our old friends standing by. Uh, there's David, there's Paul, there's Kim, uh, there's Allison, there's uh, Scott, there's Homer, there's Lisa, there's Julian. Uh, just so many people saying hi right now in the Facebook chat. Pleasure to see you all. And uh, Thomas, Carlos, there you all are. Uh, can't wait for you all to join in on the conversation tonight. Uh, but before we get into that, the poll. We do the poll every week. Well, except for the times that we don't have a show. Then we don't do a poll like we did last week. So two weeks ago, we asked you to cosplay or not to cosplay. 62% of you said cosplay. 38% of you said no cosplay. Now, Ken, as we do, we like to ask vague questions. <laughs> so the question might have been, uh, are you for it? Are you against it? Uh, do you cosplay or do you not cosplay? Hey, however you answer that question, the majority of you said cosplay. What do we have this week, Ken? And this week, it's a lot less vague uh, this week because Discovery is back, well, I was going to say on the air, but oh, that's a bone of contention. It could start a whole bunch of discussion uh, because Discovery is back um, consumable, let's say. Uh, the question we have this week is very simple. Short tracks, watching or waiting? Short tracks, watching or waiting. Right now, a few more of you are watching than waiting. Uh, 54% uh, say you are watching the short tracks, which I guess means just the short track right now. 46% uh, say uh, waiting, apparently. So, I don't know. You got time for the rest of the show to uh, to change your answer or throw your answer in. And actually, that poll question will be up until next week when we come up with a new poll question probably about 10 minutes before the show starts. <laughs> All right, Ken, we will welcome our guest, Larry Nemechek, Dr. Trek in just a moment. But I want to get everybody caught up to speed here on the show that actually came out just a few days ago, the short trek called Runaway. If you'll let me do the honors, here we go. It's Star Trek only smaller. Late night aboard the Discovery. And Shift 5 is wrapping up. On the hangar bay, decontamination is about to take place, which means any personnel need get out of there. But when they're gone, a creature emerges from one of the crates and seems to cut itself, dripping a little orange blood onto the floor below. In her quarters, Tilly is having a conversation with her mom. It's one of those conversations. Mom just doesn't seem to get it. Tilly wants to go into training for a command position, but mom isn't exactly encouraging. Thanks, mom. To shake it off, she heads to the mess hall for a quadruple espresso. But Tilly is not alone. Something nearly invisible whisks by at high speed. Then again, then Tilly notices some orange blood on the floor. Before she can really investigate, all hell breaks loose. That invisible thing is making the food dispensers go nuts. Croissant everywhere. When things subside, the creature has taken the form of a young female alien. She seems scared, but Tilly communicates with her to find out that she's Zahian, a culture that has just developed warp travel. These two get along, mostly bonding over food and their mutual unique grasp of science nerdity. The alien is Poe, which is short for something much longer than Poe. Zahia, the planet, and Zahians, the people, were born at the same time. They are inextricably linked, and Poe has been mining the planet since she was a little girl. Mining what exactly? Oh, just dilithium. Tilly points out that the Federation is really looking for Poe. She is to be kept alive at all costs. And what exactly is she running from? Well, her brother and parents are dead. She and her mother never saw eye to eye, something Tilly understands. Poe developed an incubator that recrystallizes the lithium, a gift for her sister, the planet. She's felt misunderstood for being exceptional, and she's terrified that her breakthrough will be perverted by others who don't care about her home. Tilly gets Poe on a personal level, and she's going to do everything she can to help. The Federation would, too. They won't be able to keep the dilithium incubator a secret forever, but there's a strategic importance to Zahia at play here, too. Tilly tells Poe she can't keep running. People will find out, even if they don't have Zahia's best interest in mind. But this is an evolutionary step. 
it'll take someone like Poe to stand up and make sure there's a voice for going in the right direction. Time to get Poe back home. In the transporter room, Poe has a keen interest in that technology, too. How'd she learn all this stuff? Oh, from her brother, the king. Tilly reasons that with Poe's family gone, that makes her the queen. Yeah, and her coronation is tomorrow. She kept it secret so people could see her for who she is and what she can do, not just as some title. She passes Tilly a dilithium crystal and walks into the transporter pad, a little taller, asking Tilly to come visit her on Zahia. The end. Well done, Mr. Champion. Thank you, Ken. It's amazing how much Star Trek you can get through in 15 minutes. <laughs> well, even less, because uh, the credits on that were pretty long. Plus, uh, they actually had that. Um, they had the, the trailer for season two. I don't know if you heard there's going to be a season two of Discovery. What? Stop. I know. Kind of crazy. Okay. All right. So that's the story. As the story happened, we do, of course, have a guest coming on in just a moment. But we want to hear from you. Six four six five five eight eight six five six is the phone number to call. Six four six five five eight eight six five six. What did you think of the first short track if you saw it? And if you're in the forty six percent that didn't see it, have you just not gotten around to it yet? Are you holding out? What's going on? Six four six five five eight eight six five six is the phone number to call, or you can join the Zoom meeting or use the one tap from your smartphone. And now we do have a guest waiting, Mr. Champion. Yeah, let's bring him in. Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. How's it going tonight, Larry? Hey, I'm good, guys. Good, good. We're, we're got talking to... short treks. That's a different one. We're talking short treks or, or trek shorts. I might be wearing my trek shorts right now. You don't know. You oh, we've had, we've had trek shorts and licensed trek shorts for years. But <laughs> We have. We have. Uh, I take it you watched it, too. <laughs> Uh, oh, you want me to watch it first? Oh, hilarious. Oh, okay, yes. No, <laughs> not only did I watch it first, I struggled to find it when I watched it on Thursday. You had to go and look under clips, and I noticed tonight on a second view that they've introduced a separate category for short treks, which I yes. thought was interesting. Yes, you had to know that it was not with the regular episodes. You had to dig around and find it. So they've solved well, fix that. You could actually just go to the main screen, though. Go to the home screen because it was up Thursday night. Because I did not have. I've heard people say that they had trouble finding it. I oh. I clicked on the thing that said play. I didn't. I I was looking for that. It wasn't there when I was watching. That's interesting. No. Well, anyway. there you go. Anyway, they have grown since. As uh, well. What did you think? <clears throat> Well, it was a it was a really sweet. I mean, I have a I had a dual head that I was enjoying the sweet little story, but I was very cognizant of all the little background bits they were throwing at you. Um, like the main bay is called Cargo Bay Three, or that's an announcement for some other section. I mean, I've got goofy things like that. But, um, no, it was a sweet story, and it it brought to mind a small version of some other, not the same dynamic, not like peer, that was almost peer to peer. But I had I had memories just to dive in. I had memories of things like Wesley and Celia and and Kirk and the Dolman, Picard mm -hmm. and Kamala. It's like people who were running away from some cultural um, some cultural thing that they were invested in, usually as a bigwig, you know, which I thought was interesting. Now, this is this is totally platonic. And it's it's those other ones had a little bit of romance added into them. But um uh, no, I, I I caught myself drifting that way, especially at the end when they reveal that she's, you know, royalty, and yeah. that's part of her. That's part of her dilemma. The only thing that really, and, I, and so yeah, it was a sweet thing. And the format, I'd been looking forward to this format. I'd been looking forward to this format since the '90s, <laughs> or just <laughs> anything besides, you know, one hours, you know, mini series, limited series, whatever. But the thing, the only thing that confused me was, and I'll just throw it out there. I didn't know if she was just being metaphorical, but when she talked about being born at the same time as the planet or being born with the planet, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I couldn't see the whole population of all of them being in pods, you know, three or four or five million years old, and they all just get hatched. At us. Right. I, mean, I, I don't know. I was curious to see what you all thought of that, because I kept waiting for some little nuanced, you know, oh, it's just a figure of speech, and I never got that. So maybe I missed it. It's funny. The, the first time I watched it, I thought, OK, well, if they're literally doing a scientific thing here, because Tilly's trying to make sense of it, too. She's like, mm -hmm. wait, you can't be born with the, the heat would be too much and blah, blah, blah. And, and I thought e even if it is just part of their creation myth, 
she's the queen. This is their creation myth that they go with. Mm-hmm. They all believe it. <laughs> so that's and, right. Yeah. At the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter because clearly she has this strong scientific understanding, this strong scientific curiosity about everything around her. Uh, but but it, it feeds into this idea of her deep care for the planet and uh, uh, the, the sort of the, the metaphor that that we as human beings on earth try to use that we are part of mm-hmm. our environment. We are part of our planet and everything that we do has an effect. So I, I really thought, you know, either way that worked, either way that worked as a, as a cool little piece of dialogue to throw in there. Maybe we'll go back to Zahia. Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> I kind of had the same feeling on it. I mean, she may be somebody who literally believes that she may also be somebody Mm -hmm. who believes that figuratively, but does, you know, associate herself with her planet in ways that apparently other people on her planet don't. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard to imagine that everybody feels as strongly about it because she said the second that she told them what she had done with the dilithium crystals, uh, as far as being able to re, re, re energize, regrow, regenerate, uh, those that immediately they started coming at her with uh, with greed without the best interest of the planet at heart, which I kind of part of me wishes I knew what that meant exactly that they wanted to shut up about it so that they could keep their place of being able to sell dilithium. Was it the mining interest that wanted her to be quiet? I mean, how is this actually a bad thing except there's an existing power structure there that apparently wants to stop her? Yeah, I, I just got that it was some kind of a general. She has her own military industrial complex problem going mm-hmm. on that's after her and that she's more at one with the planet. And and yeah, I, I was hoping I, I knew it had to be some kind of a metaphorical connection there with uh, born at the same time with the planet. But it seemed to me what they were driving at was she was this genius, but she was very, you know, almost regretful. It wasn't quite on the Oppenheimer level, but. She was uh, maybe regretting that what she said, I keep it in my brain. I, I'm keeping it up here. It's not written out anywhere. So nobody else has it but me. And that she's got a really, and she's young. She's a young, you know, I'm, I'm, if 17 is a minor on Zahia, but uh, she's going to have an uphill battle to demand her own space and her own gravitas among all these advisors and adults already out there. She's, uh, she's post-larval. As the yes. uh, as the, the tricorder told us, uh, some nice comments right here. David uh, actually says, technically, we are all born with the planet. Our atoms are all recycled. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> that is a really good way of looking at we it. Our star stuff. We are star stuff, indeed. And and some other comments here that I I really grok if I may use that, uh, a few people pointing out that this really feels like the animated series in the best sense of it. I was going to say that. In fact, I was going to ask you guys. I mean, there were. I didn't know if you guys wanted to go production or if you wanted to go more message on the whole thing. But I mean, it almost. I I, I wonder. It did feel like the animated series to me. Honestly, it made me excited about a couple of things. It made me excited about the possibility that we could see something like the animated series at some point. It also made me more excited than I've ever been about the idea of a Starfleet Academy show. And I know a lot of people hate that idea, but. Seeing these two, uh, Tilly's older, but seeing these two young people actually talk not about boys, not about clothes, but about, you know, how they want to be and how they want their respective worlds to be and dealing with stuff in their past as well. Um, um, the, the young woman from the planet, from Zahia Poe, mm-hmm. uh, Poe, you know, as sort of uh, being crushed under the weight of what's expected of her going forward and of having these ideas about how the world should change. Um, Talking about that with somebody who for all intents and purposes is her peer who's dealing with her own demons as far as like, you know um, yeah, the stuff that her mother brought up. I mean, it, and and all that is still talking about the message of the show, I think, except that it, it gave me hope that you could do something that's not gritty and awful. And, you know, should we kill everybody or not? <laughs> we can actually do something that's a bit more uh, that's a bit more contemplative, uh, even if it's with a bunch of 15, 16, 17 year old kids. Yeah, it, it, it just uh, when you asked me, Ken, uh, it, had I watched it when I thought of it, I, I just said my first word was that it was lovely. It was just a lovely story that felt like Star Trek. The messages were just front and center. We, I, I, one of the notes that I took from myself was 
I hate that we don't have the time now, the opportunity to do the full mission log treatment on this, <laughs> because mm-hmm. I feel like we could from from a production point of view, from a character point of view, from the morals, meanings, messages point of view. I really feel like this one nailed it. And, you know, there was uh, so much uh, hue and cry over the last few years about you can't do Star Trek in 15 minutes. Well, they just did Star Trek in 15 minutes. You take away the credits, you take away the preview. It sits at about 12, maybe almost 13 minutes, if that. Um, and, And they found every layer, every texture in between. I thought it was knockout. I really did. Oh, and by the way, Larry, you mentioned uh, some of the throwbacks to old Trek. Uh, the, the first thing that I thought of was that little thing that Chekhov carries around in Star Trek Four to recrystallize dilithium. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Which was supposed <laughs> to be Spock's invention at the time. That was well. Yeah, there's well, yeah, yeah, we got all the canon history. She's invented an alien, uh, you know, an off-world, non-federational uh, invention here that supposedly Spock and Scotty have invented. Uh, 20 years later, 10 years. Yeah. 20 years later here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's texture. You can, you can uh, massage around that, but can I say something real quick about the short form. Yeah. Uh, when they announced the short treks, I thought it was a wonderful idea. I didn't see the, you can't do trek in 15 minutes because I thought it harkened back to where, where did we first get new stories? We got the fanzines and they were long novellas, but there were also a lot of short stories along the way. Right. Then skip ahead. Both Phase 2 and Star Trek Continues used short vignette-type stories and did nice nice little, you know, bits. But the only time you've had fan fiction, you know, prose that had any kind of a licensed imprimatur was the short story collections, the Strange New World collections that went on for several years. And those were all short stories. So, you know, whether it's fan, fan, I mean, all those different venues from different different places of origin, people have had an instinct that you could do short treks. So I never was, I was never with the, uh, with the crowd that said you couldn't do it on the, on the boringly production side. I love it because we're finally out of this mold. And with all those rumored variations, like an animated series like this, we're finally to the point where we can get outside of just whether they're standalones or even the serialized season. We're out of the one hour uh, format. And when you do that, I'm talking about not just the storytelling, but production-wise and budgets and liberating so that you could – now we have a whole planet that people are intrigued about. We've got a mini-history, a backstory. We've got a couple of techie things here. They didn't have to wait to be mentioned and included in one hour. And I'm almost wondering about the meta strategy here. Are these going to be ways that on-screen characters and planets and cultures – are introduced or they get a test run to see if they want to be used later or they're already planning to be used and we get introduced here. And then behind the camera, writers direct, I mean, not all in all cases. Um, uh, Jenny Lamette here, aside from coming from the lineage of Sydney Lamette, is already a, a co-producer, co-executive producer on the show now, one of the new ones. But it could also be a way to try out actors, characters, and writers and directors and others who are going to be joining or it's a tryout, you know, it's an audition piece. Yeah. So I'm real excited. It's getting more Trek blood in the bloodstream in ways that are affordable and doable. And dare I even say it, you know, made for a made for a YouTube generation that can be hippier and trendier and not as big a commitment. And maybe you pick up more viewers who happen to stumble into a 15 minute. Yeah, I, I really hope that that's the case, that, that we are laying groundwork for uh, people to try out, for, for ideas to try out, that we might visit Zahia. This might become a plot line where at least something we can revisit. It just makes that universe a little bigger, a little more textured. And, uh, and by the way, I, I was partly being facetious when I was talking about uh, uh, 15 minutes uh, uh, being the limit on Trek. Um, uh, we might remember that CBS had uh, encouraged in the <laughs> film guidelines that 15 minutes be as long as you go with them. So many people said, oh, you can't tell a story in that. Well, you right. can. You can. Mm-hmm. actually. And it has been done before and it will be done again. You've always been able to. Yeah. And now we're seeing it on a professional level <laughs> in a wonderful way. Let me do a couple of things really quickly. First of all, remind people that we want to hear from them as well. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call. 646-558-8656. Or do the video thing. You know, click on the one tap from your smartphone or join our Zoom meeting. And there are codes that you type in. And then pretty soon you'll be talking to us. And that would be awesome. 
I got to go the other way here and ask, did neither of you want this to be an hour long episode? I mean, the, the one problem that I had with this episode, and I can nitpick, but I'm not going to nitpick. The one problem I had with this episode is we got so much in those 12 minutes. And I love the fact that they spent those 12 minutes giving us what, you know, looks, smells, tastes, feels like Star Trek. Is there no part of you that wants to actually see more of that backstory? Like, I would have been happy if this had been an episode of Discovery. Did I, did either of you wish that we could have that we could have more exploration rather than the 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 quick, almost like adrenaline shot of what Star Trek has been? Uh, I think Larry? it's a good. I think it's a good. Well, on that. I was curious what all these short tricks would be because they're a portent of what season two is going to be. I'm, I'm pretty sure they may have different tones, but this kind of subtle, not reboot retone, maybe getting out of war and into a peaceful time. Maybe it's just a long extended dangerous adventure, not an all out, you know, war. But, um, I, the, the, I, I wasn't bothered by, I could see having a bigger story, having this be an element of a bigger story. You get to the planet and you meet those people that you meet her tormentors, her, the, all the pressure that she's going to be under. The, mm-hmm. the main thing that got to me, and I even had to go back and watch it again because I missed it when she said, let's get you home. And the next thing I know, they're having this character moment. But I was like, wait, where is she beaming her to? Did they, did she get the ship? Back? You know, they go all the way. To, even if Zahira was close and that explains how she got herself aboard. Um, what like was it the last stop they stopped at? I mean, you know what? We don't get that either. But um, and we don't have Zahir on the on Silver Cartography's map set yet, so that's something we have to do now. But <laughs> but I didn't. I was like, wait, is she putting her on a transport to get back home? Is she is she over the? You know, we didn't have an orbital shot. We didn't have something that mundane. So that. But, but the bigger the biggest part for me was aside from the crowd that came in to the mess hall. To me, it was a little off, and they made a point of saying shift five, which I guess is the graveyard. It's the 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. The point of not having to have any, not even regulars, but even other crew people, m- missing that fact of the ship. It's a huge ship, and we had four or five people wander in at the bad time there after the mess. Other than that, oh, and the four, the four five, six that wandered off the hangar deck at the beginning, so the cargo bay. So other than that, I was mainly bothered by how it was so small, and it was a small story. It didn't need other people. But it just it just hung on to me as this is a fifteen minute one where you know this it also has a fifteen minute budget, yeah, right. or, or twelve minute technically. So that was that was the thing that uh, you know if you're wrapped up in the story you don't notice that. But one step back and I kind of go oh, you know more people. I, I think Ken for me is kind of a catch twenty two. You know I, I want this fifteen minute story and the next one and the next one to be great. And, mm-hmm. and I thought that this one was great because it's great. I want more. And <laughs> if we come back to these characters again or, or just revisit a thread of this plot again, cool. Now, if it was bad, I would say, yeah, I'm glad that was only 15 minutes. Maybe there's just a little something there that's worthwhile, a little something that I like that fleshes out a character or whatever, but now I'm ready to move on. So I, I don't want to tell the people who are writing the 15-minute episodes to um, just do 15 minutes worth of work. Because I I feel like, yeah, you could take this and make it bigger. You could take this and actually develop a whole uh, uh, hour-long story out of it. But maybe it's perfect the way it is. Maybe it's perfect just at that length. And and for those of us who are Tilly fans, we get to go, okay, Mm -hmm. this was a nice visit with that character, a little more depth to her. Love this stuff with her mom. I love how that played back into Poe's relationship with, with her family and the, the feeling of the pressure of expectation on her. So I, I'm glad it didn't overstay its welcome. I'm glad that it left me wanting more. Oh, Very and cool. uh, yeah. looks like we have a caller. We do? Wait. Oh, good. Do. do we want to do the caller? Do we want to do the thing that we were going to do? Let's do let's, the caller. Let's do the caller. Let's go ahead and take the caller. Looks like we got John standing by. That's dangerous, because if you guys were going to go ahead and do an ad, you should have just done it. Hi, it's John. How you doing? <laughs> How are you, John? <laughs> Welcome. Good, man. Good, good. I tell you what, we'll just keep on the line, and we'll do the ad anyway. Too bad. Yeah, do the ad. <laughs> no, 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 no. Never before has a commercial been cheered on. Yeah. Right, right. What, what, uh, point, what do you have for us, John? <laughs> What's on your mind tonight, John? 
Oh, oh all right. Um, well, now, in addition to the short treks, which was <laughs> rad, um, we also got a trailer. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but apparently we were all invited into Beard Wars to, uh, 2018, where people are freaking out because, fuck, oh, I got a beard. Oh, my God. And really, kind of my question for Larry, but anybody who was there at the time, like me, because I'm old, uh, in 79, when the motion picture came out, you know, the Enterprise was radically different. The Klingons looked totally different. McCoy had a beard. We accepted it. It was cool. Now, 40 years later, beyond that, the Enterprise looks different. The Klingons look totally different. And Spock has a beard. And I'm just kind of like, you know, we accepted it back then. Like, we, we just sort of rolled with it and went, okay. And I'm like, 40 years on, when did we get inflexible? I mean, are we so, you know, have we, uh, have we sort of gotten so old and inflexible that we've outlived our <laughs> flexibility with that constituted choice? Nice. Nice. Good good reference. It's just goofy. I mean, I'm kind of like, everybody's like, he has a beard. And I'm like, did y'all watch Miri? He gets a little stubble occasionally. I mean, dude can grow a beard. <laughs> but I, I'm just looking at the whole thing and I'm just like, when did we get so stiff? We used to be Trekkies. We can roll with anything. But, you know, kind of wanted to pick Larry's brain on it because... I know he was there. I was there, but his memory of everything in 79 must be way better than mine. Well, what do you got, Larry? <laughs> well, yeah, watch the watch those uh, soapboxes and pedestals on memory. No, um, <laughs> no I, yeah, I, so my Trekland Tuesdays live topic today was hair today, gone tomorrow. Um, <laughs> that and also the, the whole thing with hair on Klingons, I, I noticed kind of blew up a little bit of Trek Internet the last couple of days, which I thought both of them were kind of hysterical. Uh, hippie Spock was at the big, he didn't have a beard in motion picture, but hippie Spock was there. I think for yeah. one thing, aside from just, I don't think it's just um, an aesthetic. Did you notice that Spock was like a, a discovery Spock in the trailer was unconscious. And then he blinks awake. Like maybe he's been unconscious for a while or he's been in a Vulcan trance or whatever. I mean, part of the mini arc with him is apparently there is a new search for Spock. So maybe he hasn't been able to shave, you know, and maybe what you see is not the way oh, he no, winds up. I, I no, don't know. Spock Grimes. We know that Mirror Spock can grow a beard. We know that, you know, Prime Spock can grow long hair. We know Cyborg had a beard. I, yeah, I, but I'm with you. It's like, come on, people. And he's younger. He's 28. He's going to have, you know, he's moots. He's only at least three years away from yelling Spock. So. <laughs> you know. so no i that and, and the whole thing with the klingons and, and mary chifo's explanation about you know klingons at peace shave their heads and klingons uh, uh klingons at war shave their heads klingons at peace have long hair what about the dominion war and i'm like it's a hundred years later i mean i thought of that yeah. oh i guess the dominion wars you know but to watch that other thing bubble up and and the fact that chang was bald and that was great retcon texture for him and Anyway, I, I, yeah, the whole thing of hair lately, it's the biggest, I know it's been a long time since the Janeway, you know, hair debate, you know, bun versus wedge versus long and all of that and, <laughs> and everything. But um, I, that at least I think is honest. Um, at least it's honest. Fan, and I also think social media blows all of this out of proportion, even more than oh, of course. out of proportion. So. You know, I, I think that there's I'm also bet you there's at least 40, 48 or 49 or 50 people in America that had no idea who are died in the world truck fans who had no idea the great hair debate raged this weekend. Right. I think there's also kind of the, the production reality here as well, where, OK, if you're sitting on all this top secret information about what's coming in season two of Discovery, because everything has to be secret, because once one kernel releases online, it, it, it just it, it it snowballs. Right. So what you do if you're sitting right. in the production office, you go, OK, I have this one still of Spock with a beard. Fans will be apoplectic when they see it. Let's release that and let's let people go crazy. Okay. And then what happens is you watch the show and you go, okay, he, he's been asleep for a while. He, he's, you know, he's been unconscious for a while or something happened to justify this incredibly minor thing, <laughs> but, you know, but we'll justify it in the story. I, I kind of look at it like, um, like Chekhov being in Wrath of Khan. Okay. Every Trek fan can go, oh, but wait, Chekhov wasn't in Space Seed. 
And then all you have to do is you see the movie and, and you hear Walter Koenig in an interview saying like, yeah, Chekhov was on the lower decks. He just wasn't in those scenes when Khan was on board in Space Seed. That's how I get to headcanon it. That's how I get to retcon it. <laughs> Fine. We, we need to have a little bit bigger imaginations as Trek fans when it comes to that kind of thing. It's all right. It's all right. We can have an imagination, you know? Well, uh, did, did, did like 18 years of constant Star Trek production with really tight continuity because it was the same folks working on it, do you think that's what's led to some of this? Because, again, I think back to when it was just 78, well, 79 episodes, an animated series and a sprinkling of movies. And we were a little more accepting of changes. But when you get to a post PNG to Enterprise era, I wonder if everybody's like, no, these things are locked in. This is the way this has to be. You think that's some of what's going on or is it just everybody has to be occasionally apoplectic about anything? Lately, it's felt to me like everybody wants to fight about whatever. And I'm not, I'm not making that up. I mean, it appeals to me like seriously, if, if you, if you're, I mean, Coke versus Pepsi used to be an ad campaign and now it's like a blood feud. I mean, and not really Coke versus Pepsi, but it feels like almost anything that comes up is something that, and I personally feel guilty of it. I will read something and immediately in my head, I'm trying to figure out whether there's actually a counterpoint to it. And this is everything from big things like politics to small things like, I don't know, uh, recasting a movie or something like that. And then I, you know, in my head, smack myself in the face and say, it doesn't matter who cares and move on from there. I wonder, I mean, I do wonder about that though. Like, what is it that, no, I don't don't know. What what is it that have people that has people so uptight? I will tell you personally, the second I saw the enterprise come on in the last episode of discovery, my first thought was great. Another Spock. And I think, I think there are probably a lot of people who thought, please don't, please don't, please don't, because you're going to be comparing it. First of all, you're going to be comparing it to Kinto because he's done it so much so recently, but then you also have to compare it to Leonard Nimoy because you have no choice, but to compare it to Spock. And I think that, you know, right or wrong, and I'm going to go with wrong and, you know, silly or smart. And I'm going to go with silly. uh, There are people who want it to be exactly the way it's always been. And, and I mean, I have kind of had a hard time with some of the Star Trek that we've watched, honestly. I don't dislike it because it's not exactly what it's always been. But I think there are people who, who they want their Kirk to be Kirk. They want their Spock to be Spock. If you want to bring in somebody else, that's fantastic. But can I please have my Kirk and Spock? You, and bring in, bring in Cyborg for all I care. Bring in, you know, somebody else. That would be rad. And, <laughs> and say, oh, I would love it. Please, I would love to see Spock, Burnham, and Cybok in one room. That'd be fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and probably worst dad of the year, Sarek. Absolutely. Yeah, of yeah. The year. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, of Star Trek. John, thank you so much for calling in, man. Anytime, all right? Thank you, guys. Take care. All right. Right, we still have business. To do. We have business to do, but six four six five five eight eight six five six is the phone number to call. Six four six five five eight eight six five six, or you can join the Zoom meeting. Uh, John called in, though. It's good enough for John. You know, it's good enough for you too. Six four six five five eight eight six five six. We would love to hear your thoughts on the short treks and on the Star Trek in general. Yeah. Before we do that, though, hey, John, we have we have old friends back in the Look house. What I got. Look what I got in my hand right here, Ken. What do you have in your head? See, I'm, I'm on the script. I'm not on your... Oh, you're, oh okay. You're not looking at the feed. Okay. I have the USS Shenzhou. That would be uh, NCC-1227. This nice. is an eight-inch long, heavy, incredibly detailed starship from Eagle Moss Discovery Starships Collection. So they are the official yeah. Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection. Discovery is back, y'all. Eagle Moss wants you to get a discovery of your own, as well as a slew of ships from the latest Star Trek series, all part of the Eagle Moss Discovery Starships collection. Yeah, I've got my uh, my Shenzhou sitting right over there, and that's my Discovery. I don't know if I'm pointing in the right oh, place, nice. but right yeah. there over my shoulder, that's my Discovery right there. Because, yeah, you got Federation and others on the Federation side. You've got the Shenzhou. You've got the Discovery. You've got the Corella. You've got the Europa. Um, they're they're, they're good-looking ships. And, uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff for you to check out as well. I mean, including some stuff on the Klingon side, like you've got the newly imagined Bird of Prey. You've got the Kuch class destroyer. you got a whole bunch of other stuff coming your way. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
So what you will see when you visit EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships, they're going to be the renderings that serve as the basis for the diecast models themselves, painstakingly reproduced, as always, under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Go back and listen to that show that we did with Ben. He talks about his whole process. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, they are officially authorized by CBS Studios, roughly 8 to 10 inches from bow to stern, hand-painted, so rich in detail, and each one comes with that awesome magazine full of real-world and in-universe information, and they all come with a display stand suitable for displaying your ships. Because what else would a display stand do, Ken, other than display your ships? I guess it could be a stand that's so nice you want to display it, and then you display the ship separately, but mm. no, yeah. that's, that's not what it is. Now, okay. subscribers will get their first ship, the Shenzhou NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including, you know, the ones I talked about earlier, the Discovery, and so many more, will ship monthly for the special subscriber price of only $44.95 each. That is 20% off the standard retail price, and they also come with free shipping. Yes. Now, if you wanted to pick and choose ships on your own, you can do that. For that, you go to shop.eaglemoss.com, or you just head down to your local comic shop. You'll pay about 10 bucks more there, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Subscribers get free gifts worth over 100 bucks during their subscription, and of course, you can cancel your subscription at any time. So to buy them individually, shop.eaglemoss.com or to subscribe, eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And a huge thanks to the good people at Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Hey, uh, we have a video question pre-recorded that was sent in by Jason all the way from Japan. And uh, I can't wait to get to that. So I will ask our technical director, Brandon, to please roll that question and we'll address it as soon as we're back. Hi, John and Ken. Greetings from the land of the rising sun. Sorry I can't call in, but with the time difference, you guys are my drive buddies, not my watching buddies. Okay, I have a two-part question, nothing to do with discovery. One, how important do you guys think fan gatherings, particularly conventions, are to general Star Trek fandom? I grew up in Nevada, and I attended my first convention in Reno, not Vegas, and loved it, and loved having friends I could talk Trek with, but I'm now in Japan, been here for 14 years, and Star Trek is just not known all that much. So since you had Dr. Trek himself on, I really was interested to know, because you guys are always talking about the conventions and the scenes and how it was and how it is. And that brings me to the second part of my question. What do you think about the internet and what is it doing to this? You know, the internet's been really great. It's brought me Mission Log and Mission Log Live and yeah, I'm dropping names. And I've enjoyed it a lot, but there be trolls and there be toxic fandom. So that's my question for you guys. How important is fan community or communion, I should say, to being a fan? And that's it. Thank you guys very much. I hope that I'll be on the show because I really like listening to you guys. All right. Thank you. Good long and prosper. Wow. Very cool. Jason, all the way from Japan, getting in touch with us, asking us those questions. Uh, so we've got a doctor in the house. Dr. Track Larry Nemechek is here with <laughs> us this evening. Um, it was a two-part question, Larry. The first question was, how important do you think a fan communion is to being a Star Trek fan? And then uh, what of the Internet? What of the Internet? <laughs> <laughs> and what about the Internet? I, no, those are great questions. And it's, I mean, really, since the rise of computers, pre-social media even, just Internet, like the late 90s, I remember it felt like, you know, conventions used to be the apex of fandom when you you didn't have to read something or get off the phone. That was and, and the bigger, the better. You were lucky to have a little regional or city or statewide, much less something mega like Worldcon before the era of the big Comic Cons and even, you know, Vegas and Destination Trek. And getting to a convention used to be about hearing the latest news, seeing your stars and heroes, um, hopefully writers, too, in in person you know, the, the adulation part of it, but also hearing all the news and hearing all the gossip and the rumors. 
and seeing all the cool merchandise in a time when there wasn't that much going on. And then as the years went by, licensing stepped up, media got more sophisticated, and then the internet came in. Conventions, I think, lost some of their luster because you could get your news uh, 24-7, and there was much more merchandise to get, and you could order it online by the aughts. And there was a time there where we, we were, a lot of us were wondering if the internet was going to kill conventions. And at least in Trek world, the malaise, you know, a little bit there, the, the end of Enterprise and right after Enterprise, it was kind of a malaise time. And conventions, I think, kind of stagnated a little bit in Trek world, even as the Comic-Cons exploded and took off. But social media has almost, the first wave of social media almost brought that back because now it, what's evolved, rather than dying off, conventions have turned into the family reunion for a lot of people. And they may meet people online, but then they then they go and, and you'll hear people after the first year or two of seeing actors and stars and getting the whole vibe of the thing. A lot of fans will say, I come back, I enjoy the convention events on paper, but I love seeing my con family. And that, I think, is the, the dynamic that's taken hold. Now, his second question about Jason's second question about social media. Boy, the last three or four years, it seems like the pendulum has swung and we've seen the dark side of social media. But I would almost. I still fight for this. And, and last week on my Facebook show, um, Trekland Doozy Live, I had seen references and it's been out there. A, a USC researcher studied Star Wars uh, Twitter campaign or the, the reaction to The Last Jedi. And I think it's applicable to Star Trek where he actually quantified and did data and not tweets per se, sheer numbers, but back to the accounts that put them out, turned out that only about one, and he classified negative, positive and neutral only one in 10 tweet account holders that he charted for about nine months, uh, starting with the release of The Last Jedi, and any tweet directed to Ryan Johnson by name, the director. And this became a very famous case of toxic fandom online. And yes, it's not Trek, it's Wars, but I think it's applicable, and then we can take a percentage of these numbers because it's Star Wars numbers. But one in 10 was classified as negative, and of the one in 10, half of those say like 5% seem to be actually from a human being and the other 5% were either bots or trolls. So I think some of this that we may even be depressed a little bit by toxic fandom on social media, but I think a lot of it may be artificially uh, amplified and maybe the percent of people, and I'm not knocking anybody's ability to critique anything. We all have our critiques we want to make, but people talk about the negativity and the toxicity and some of these attitudes, I think they may be the same as they've always been. They just may be artificially amplified, and um, there may be a, <laughs> there may be even other players that care little about what we're all talking about, but they're just in there to sow some discord for whatever reason. It's definitely a phenomenon, but that's 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 my take on it now. But I mean, I remember the heyday, the early days of social media was so heavy, and people were finding each other and making connections and. And that still goes on. I don't think we should we should be smart and savvy, but I still think that that happens, and it's a, it's a value for that. Let's go much back less, much less solving a lot of bar fights before they happen. Let's go back the other way for a second, though. I mean, it's not it's not just these. I mean, the problem with something like Twitter or 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 Facebook is a lot of what John often refers to as sort of the drive by. Right? Somebody mm -hmm. wants to say something negative, they just go and they do it in two hundred forty characters or two hundred eighty, right. however many it is now. Then they put their phone in their pocket and they feel good because they, you know, shut some nerd down or something like that. And conversely, we're sitting here right now talking on the Internet. And that's kind of a neat thing. And that's not a thing that you would have ever been able to do, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, to literally talk and do, you know, the video thing on the Internet. I mean, your first video was just you know, so choppy and you wouldn't try to do it more than three minutes. And so as that evolves, it's kind of great at the same time. There are shows out there about the animated series. There are shows out there. There are shows out there about the music of Star Trek. There are shows out there about like almost any part of Star Trek that you want to talk about. So in that way, it's kind of grown community. As far as whether the, the conventions are necessary, no, um, but they can be magical. Now, I know they're not magical for everybody. We had a friend a couple of years ago. 
who went to the convention and then after uh, at STLV and then after the convention at STLV, uh, she posted this long thing about how there was nothing to do. Uh, the people weren't friendly. There, there was no place to go after the floor closed. And honestly, I would have thought that she was staying at a completely different convention. I don't know how it is that that happened to her because the very first time I went to a Star Trek convention and it was when we were launching mission log, I, I knew I, I had talked to John a few times, but I'd never actually physically hung out with him. I, I had, uh, I think I had met Rod. You like still three won't times. today. You still yeah, won't. Yeah, no, it's, uh, please, have you seen him? It's ridiculous. Oh, no. no. I mean, but honestly, and, and I left there with friends. I don't mean I left, I don't mean I left <laughs> there with friends. I mean, I left there having yeah. made friends. So, I mean, I, I think it kind of depends. Maybe there's an element of luck. Maybe there's an element of putting yourself out there. I don't know which one it is. That said, I mean, I spent most of my life not going to Star Trek conventions and still being a Star Trek fan and loving that sense of community that I got when I did meet somebody who was a Star Trek fan as well. Um, I almost want to suggest something like meetup.com or something like that for Jason, because I understand that Star Trek conventions may not be a thing in Japan. And I know he said in his call that, you know, they're not a big thing. Star Trek's not a big thing in Japan. Uh, there's got to be somebody else. I mean, even if it's another expat. There's got to be somebody else who may be interested in like, you know, a club or a meet or, you know, a game night or just something like that where you can meet somebody knowing that that's your background. Because do you need the communion? Probably not, but it can be a great thing to have. Hey, uh, I know we've got uh, something else coming up, but I need to let people know that after this show, there is something else else coming up. That would, of course, be the live recording of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, uh, about 11.15, 11.30 on the East Coast, 8.15, 8.30 on the West Coast. Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony I bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. It's TV and music. It's not music. It's TV and movie news, excuse me, gaming news, literary reviews. I would imagine they will be talking a little bit about the short track tonight as well. So plenty of stuff to check out there. Take a couple of minutes, stretch your legs, then come back, plop yourself down in front of your viewing device, and go to facebook.com slash priority one podcast uh, to check out the live recording of priority one. And if you can't do that, or if you do that and just can't get enough, uh, the show that they're recording tonight will actually drop on Friday. So go to podcast.roddenberry.com and find all the podcasts that we do on the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including Priority One, which did I mention is coming up in a few minutes. Hey, uh, we've got another caller standing by. We have Thomas waiting cool. to talk to us. So, Thomas, what do you got tonight? Yeah, well, I'm having a great time listening in. It's my first time doing it live. The comment section is an absolute blast. Uh, <laughs> what I really wanted <laughs> it looks great. Uh, what I really wanted to talk about is a philosophical conflict I've seen within Discovery in, in the first season, and especially in this short trek. And that is in episode three, Context is for Kings, Lorca gives this speech to Michael Burnham about how he thinks she did the right thing choosing to disregard rules to do what she regarded as having the best outcome. He, he praised her utilitarianism and, and willingness to break rules. Context is for kings. And her action, her mutiny is held up and compared to, in my opinion, is compared to the idea of killing all the Klingons in the last episode. And those are both, the, the season one of Discovery says those are both bad breaking the rules to do this thing that seems like it would have a positive outcome is wrong because breaking the rules is wrong. We need to follow these rules to be good people. Tilly breaks the rules in this episode and we, the audience see it as the right thing to do. I, I was curious what you thought about that dichotomy. Whoa. How did she break the rules? She didn't she report, report an intruder. Mm. Okay. Yeah. okay. She delayed following the rules she didn't i don't know out. i didn't see her reported at all yeah well, well she got her you, back to her no yeah. somebody would have to know at some point they got a transporter log at this point mm -hmm. so yeah so somebody's gonna know she'll have to report something at some point so there there's the the lie of omission uh, uh at, at least for a while Okay, well, we have to go back, though, I think, to the question that we've been discussing quite a bit lately on Mission Log, which is, are they delivering messages or are they telling stories at this point? 
because if they're delivering, I mean, I don't, I mean, I feel like this episode was built around delivering messages and there were a few of them that you could take away, but it felt like a message episode to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Discovery feels less like a message thing and more like a, well, can you imagine sort of thing? And so I get, I get what you're saying, but I don't feel like Discovery, I don't feel like the 15 episodes of Discovery plus the short track are trying to sort of codify in the same way that TOS or TAS may have. I mean, you can even make the argument and TNG as well. And Larry, you could probably speak to this better than I can. You can make the argument that the movies sort of got away from that, both for TNG and TOS. Um, And then, you know, Deep Space Nine just sort of chucks the whole thing in the bin. Larry? Well, I don't know. I, I... I was going to say, I, I, I'm the movies are a critter themselves. The people we get into trouble comparing movies to the the Trek movies to the series because they're a different animal. They're they're structured differently. The characters are assigned differently. You know, it becomes a billing thing, not a here's the family of the ensemble. Um, and there's all the stress on this one off event. So, and that affects the storytelling too. Um, as far though, as far yeah. though as the question of whether or not. I mean, can you look at the 15 episodes of Discovery as a cohesive, here's your message? And then if you throw in a, a, a short track, which seems to, as Thomas pointed out, seems to give you a completely opposite message. I, I mean, do you see those as, does the whole thing work, I guess, is the question he's asking. I just, I just see the short track as such a small, non-cosmic, non-galactic story. I know, I know I'm, this is situational, maybe, I don't know, but... She didn't, she didn't, uh, Tilly did not enable her to run away. She, she did the Starfleet thing by urging her to go back and face her responsibilities, but with empathy and with greater strength to do so. And if that wasn't by the Starfleet letter of the law, lots of folks have made the case. In fact, the prime directive supposedly has the case for to be your actions. If they appear to defy it have to be defended so and heaven knows we all know how many times it's been broken for good or bad but i it was an unusual situation it wasn't a cut and dried situation so she could have reported her but she bonded and probably had a better outcome than would have been just by being a simple bureaucratic you know paper pushing form filler out her so you know i gotta say really quickly thomas this this is probably one of the reasons that i wish this had been a longer episode because oh, there's yeah. there, there's a lot that happens here really quickly, and I won't say it's completely black and white, but it's black and white and maybe a couple of shades of gray. There's a lot more nuance, I think, to the story that would have been great to explore. All of that said, I, I, it, it left me with a good feeling at the end of it. So I'm, I'm kind of okay with it because when's, when's the last time that happened? Thomas, I, I kind I of want to take I thought it was great. Yeah, Thomas, I kind of want to take your question and build our next uh, convention panel out of it, (laughs) because (laughs) I feel like there's a lot to tackle there. And, you know, I go back to something that Ken and I have kicked around for a long time, which is the idea of the prime directive being this uh, this challenge for people uh, within these positions on Star Trek to do what is right, even when it's difficult. And maybe sometimes that means following the letter of the law. Sometimes that means following the intent of the law. Um, and and mm-hmm. we, we use tools like compassion to decide when we need to sway one way or the other. And we can probably go through all the episodes we've covered now and all the episodes we will ever cover and pick out examples of, of both of those. Thomas, I, I apologize because we're up against the clock here and there's a couple other things that we have to get to. I really want you to call back. And I swear after this show, I'm going to jot down what you said so I can put that in my pocket for the next STLV or the next convention appearance we do, okay? Thanks. It's the core question of discovery, in my opinion. Excellent. Thank you, man. Mm. Take care. Um, Hey, guys, I I, I know that we are uh, so up against the clock here, but I want to address this in uh, about 20 seconds. We had an email from Ben in the UK, and he says... um, I'm I'm in the UK, so I'm unable to watch live, and instead I listen to the podcast. I assume you will be t- talking about short treks this week, and I wondered if you wouldn't mind talking about how or whether you will hand them, handle them on the main Mission Log show. Obviously, when you get to them in around 50 years or something like that, <laughs> well, both shows, many thanks, Ben. Uh, very quickly, Ken, when I saw this, I thought about our decision to do the animated series where we did two episodes per podcast. 
that might be something to do uh, when we get there, probably, yeah, nine or 10 years from now. Um, but I already feel like this one by itself was so rich. There's, there's just a lot to talk about. So I don't want to give the shorts short shrift, as it were, just because they're only 15 minutes. Clearly, they are packing a lot of Star Trek into that short format. Yeah, well, as you say, we've got about nine uh, nine years to decide. Yeah, we'll figure uh, Larry, thank you very much for joining us again. LarryNemichek.com, that is where people should go, is that correct? That, that will do it. I'll just say happy birthday, Stellar Chartography, which dropped today. If yes. you haven't got your pre-order in, please do so. Yeah, I have a lot of things coming up, and I hope to see if we've got anybody coming to Destination Birmingham, see folks there, or at Northeast TrekCon in Albany the week after that this month. I'm so sorry I'm going to miss that this year. Hey, everybody, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. We would love it if you would check out the Mission Log shop. Just go to missionlogpodcast.com and click on shop. Our classic and new designs are there for your very own custom Trek-ish gear. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Women at Warp and Priority One. And don't forget, facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast, kicking off live in just a few moments. Thanks to everybody who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.